Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Radilision Broadcasting premiere podcast. Damn you, Hollywood. And there's your host, Robert Winfrey. Yay! Yay. It's one of those days, people, and I look forward to it just the same. Tonight, this is Damn You Hollywood. We are reviewing The Suicide Squad, not to be confused with 2016 Suicide Squad, because the the just makes such a big difference, doesn't it? And if you haven't heard our review of that, listen to Robert gleefully and meticulously explain how he would murder Margot Robbie for all the authorities who might be listening out there. Yeah, yeah. That, that was uh, that was definitely a film that we reviewed. That was the film that broke Mark in 2016. It really yeah. did ruin the entire <laughs> studio film experience for him for a good four months. I threw myself on the floor like Snape from Harry Potter and yelled out, I don't want to do this anymore. And here we are later, five years. Not, that's not even really an exaggeration. All right, joining us... Uh, if you're on the video, you'll see a new face. But first, let me just very briefly bring on uh, David Wright from the Canadian office. David, how you doing? What did I tell you about this podcast being admissible in court? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> not yet, at and, least. We hope. Not yet. <laughs> and joining us for the first time to my, if you're watching this, it's the upper right-hand corner, as I point in the wrong direction. Right, right. <laughs> it's a learned skill. It is. Uh, I rehearsed that, too. Anyway, here is, uh, we have, joining us, James Greco. James has been a bit of a fan of ours for a while, and all of our fans inevitably become podcast <laughs> hosts of their own. And we're very glad that he is taking this next particular step along the road towards inevitable subservience towards the... <laughs> Mark's podcasting empire grows slowly. <laughs> But James, it is very nice to have you on the show. How are you doing? Good. A while is an understatement, but uh, I'm uh, doing pretty good. I'm living the dream. Uh, I'm happy to be on here. And very, uh, very briefly, you know, how did you find us, and what brings you onto this show in particular? Mm -hmm. Well, I think I was searching for like different movie podcasts, and. <laughs> Somehow I happened upon Radlich Broadcasting Network, and I was like, oh, what's this? I think I was, like, searching very specific reviews for specific movies. I don't remember what they were. And it was Mark and Sean, I think, like, doing Long Road to Ruin. I think, I think mm -hmm. on the screen films, on the screen films, I, I'm a big fan of the screen films. And I knew that, like, Robert and Sean, I saw Robert and Sean were doing a review and discussion of, of that, Long Road to Ruin. And I was like, ooh, this seems interesting. And I... Started listening to it and got hooked immediately. And ever since then, I've been listening to pretty much every movie review podcast they've, they've done ever since. James would occasionally message me, and um, I don't, and I don't always talk about this, but you know, but occasionally people who listen to the show will send me messages and ideas. And when are you doing this? When are you doing Death that? Rats. And, <laughs> paternity suits, whatever. Um, Thank you. But occasionally, James would mess with me. He's like, when are you doing Game of Thrones? How about Game of Thrones? What about Game of Thrones? Uh, God damn it. And then we finally did it. I was like, Game of Thrones, I'm done now. <laughs> but he hung I'm around done. anyway after that. It was great. <laughs> you know, Game of Thrones well, was like a great ride overall. It's a great ride. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, 
Great uh, ride with a real sudden stop. <laughs> yeah, that ending not the greatest. You know, not to not to uh, go to too far down a rabbit hole, but isn't it amusing that that ending for Game of Thrones is so bad? It's almost wiped Game of Thrones from the collective pop culture consciousness. Like it just doesn't get discussed the way it should for a lot of the stuff it did right. Like, boy, we don't see great CGI on television shows all that much anymore, do we? And you want to scream, Game of Thrones has some really great visual effects. But just that ending was so yeah. bad, people want to pretend the whole darn thing never existed. It made people it's boo at Comic-Con. <laughs> Nobody boos at Comic-Con. Wow. I would boo at Comic-Con if I were there, just for the record. So the other question he had for you, James, was, you know, you've been listening for a while, but you opted to make an appearance tonight and come on. And then I think you had wanted to come on later in the month for uh, Candyman as well, the new one. Yeah. So what um, what made you decide to make the leap? Uh, just a spur of the moment, I guess. I don't know why I thought, I thought you know what? I think I would follow, finally just like to talk to these guys. Just do, I, I don't know. I don't know why it took me so long to mm -hmm. have the idea, but I was just like, yeah, I wouldn't mind. Just join these guys and just in some discussion of some film or whatever, it could be fun. It's cool. a lot like listening to the process, except for all the stuff you say in your head, they actually respond to. <laughs> True. <laughs> all right, Robert, <clears throat> go ahead and do your thing. All right. Well, with that out of the way, let's jump into this particular film. It is The Suicide Squad, directed by the great James Gunn. Uh, you know, I really wish we could just like throw the pitch meeting up and just watch that for, <laughs> for, the, <laughs> for the plot synopsis, but we might wind up doing some rev split with that, and I don't want to do that as much as, as great as Ryan George is. I don't want to give Screen Rant that much uh, extra exposure. So we first start following uh, a new group of mercenaries featuring some familiar faces for the Suicide Squad. We have uh, Joel Kinnaman back as Captain Flag. We have Margot Robbie's ha Harley Quinn, which just really muddies the water continuity-wise. Because wasn't she heading off with uh, Cassandra Kane to be you know, hide off into the sunset with another facial tattoo? Just, never mind. No one cares because it's DC. Continuity is not a thing. Uh, so if we follow them, we are introduced to... Um, the weasel, who's a giant anthropomorphic sort of weasel rat creature, about which the less said the better. Uh, Michael Rooker as, oh, what was his character's name? Um, okay, keep going and I will yell it out at you. It's not, I, I don't know why this is blanking on me. A prodigy, I think. Yeah, something to that effect. Uh, there's a German's fellow with a javelin. I think he's just called Javelin. Um, who else was there? Uh, Pete Davidson is there because, of course, Pete Davidson's there. Captain Boomerang. <sighs> he came back. He really did, didn't he? <laughs> Just to die. <laughs> uh, and, um, oh, Nathan Fillion as Arm Fall Off Boy. Okay, the detachable uh, kid, PDK. Okay, no, no, but there is actually a hero called Arm Fall Off Boy. I am aware. <laughs> So we, we get we're introduced to this particular group of uh, there's a, oh who else did I forget the um they're not, they're not Starfire yeah not All Starfire right. the Mandalorian okay hang on the team is Savant and that's Michael Savant, Rooker Cap that was it Captain Boomerang who's played by Jai Courtney Blackguard who is Pete David the detachable kid who is oh gosh now I'm forgetting the actor's name Nathan Fillion Nathan Fillion, Fillion. Javelin who now, who now has a pavilion named after him apparently yes. And then the character you were all talking about that is not Starfire is Mongol. 
Mongol. That's it. Thank you. Anyway, this group of yahoos lands on the beach. Well, they don't land on the beach. They're airdropped shortly off the beach. And apparently, the, my, my biggest laugh of this entire stupid movie, and I say stupid as an, as an affectionate term, they all drop in and start swimming and the weasel just drowns and Flag just calls out, did anyone check if the weasel could swim? I, I laughed. I laughed. Anyway, they all pull up on the beach and are immediately ambushed by the local military forces and most of them die. Pete Davidson is shot in the face and I really, and I think something bad happened to Blackguard too, but... Uh, Sorry, I hate Pete Davidson. I really do. Uh, he dies. Jai Courtney's Captain Boomerang is hit with a helicopter. Uh, Michael Rooker tries to escape the bloodbath, and his head is exploded by Amanda Waller, like you do. So the weasel's drowned. Uh, Mongol is burned in said helicopter crash. There's somebody, uh, oh yeah, um, the detachable kid. Uh, he's shot to death because he detaches his arms and then everyone just starts shooting his arms and he can still feel the pain. Uh, it goes very badly for him. Harley is captured and Flag runs off into the jungle. We then get the opening title credits because this is all preamble. We're then introduced to the real bunch of yahoos we'll be following around. Uh, we're introduced to Idris Elba playing totally not Will Smith's character from the first movie. <laughs> Which is a joke because it is. It was originally that originally was written as Deadshot, but Will Smith wasn't available, so they got another black actor to play another highly skilled assassin who doesn't miss, with a daughter who is the impetus for him trying to be a halfway decent human being. This time they got Idris Elba instead of Will Smith, but you know, same character. No, no, Bloodsport is completely different from you know Death whatever. Yes, and Deathstroke. Look, yeah. completely different Wade, names. Wade Wilson and Slade Wilson are two different characters. We all know. see now you've got it. <laughs> Deathstroke and Deadpool, totally not ripping each other off, right? Right. Uh, we're also into so the rest of their of this other team is so again. There's Bloodsport. Well, I'm surprised Jean Claude Van Damme isn't suing them. Or Fr no, no. I'm more surprised Frank Dukes isn't suing though, because he's he's a litigious fellow. I'm moving my hand towards the get on with it button. You are. I know. I'm moving. Well, maybe on. they just bought him a trophy. He seems to like that. If they unofficially acknowledge one of his highly unofficial and dubious world records, I'm sure that'll do it. Uh, we're introduced to Ratcatcher number two, because you know number one was not available. Uh. Who is supposed to be our emotional core of this group, and I have I have issues with her, but we'll get to that. Um, polka dot man who attacks people with polka dots. Uh, polka dots, not polka. Although he probably does enjoy a good polka now that I look at him. Uh, don't hit me with crickets before I get to the before I get to the bad jokes, Mark. <laughs> John Cena's character of Peacemaker is allegedly in this film. Um, there's Sylvester Stallone doing work as King Shark. And I'm forgetting somebody. Um, no, I think you got everyone. Bloodsport, Peacemaker, Ratcatcher, Nanaway. 
Yeah, Peacemaker, yeah, King Shark, Polka Dot Man, and Ratcatcher too, and yeah, they were eventually no. joined by Flag and Harley Quinn. Move yeah, on. Okay, I I was I don't know who I was considering. Oh, the, I might have been considering the Rat as his own character because, you know, he's a funny little fellow, isn't he? Anyway, they're tasked to land on the same island, the Cordo Maltese, uh, which is an island in the Caribbean. Their job is to infiltrate the highly, uh, the high top secret facility, uh, a science facility, Jotunheim, uh, which is located there. There's been a recent violent overthrow of the previous government, and the previous government was friendly to the United States and her interests. The current government, is, the current regime is not. So let's, you know, go make sure they don't have access to potentially world-altering powers. So all of these people are dropped onto the island at the same time as our group of cannon fodder. But while our pig hostages are pig hostaged, uh, this group actually gets in. They start making their way through the jungle. They're ordered to detour and save Flag because they've been able to... Waller and company were able to reacquire his transponder signal. They detour over there. There's a bloodbath at this particular uh, jungle camp. But surprise, surprise, it's not actually the government the government army that they're supposed to be fighting. It's a bunch of the freedom fighters that are supposed to be our friends. Hey, our bad. Uh, so they all rendezvous there. They move into the city. Happening, at the, uh, happening around the same time, Harley Quinn gets her own B-plot, wherein she is wooed by the new dictator of this particular government establishment. I almost started to refer to her as Avita in preparation for this, but it doesn't go that way. So, pretty darn close, though. <laughs> we, we we were getting there, and I had a whole bit planned. Uh, you know, as, I assume I assume you were going to break out into song something. I like, really don't, was. Don't I had a whole. <laughs> don't cry for me, Cordo Maltese. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, right. <laughs> Harley Quinn as Avita, but they went in a different direction, which you're about to tell us about. Uh, so she almost marries this dictator, but he starts going a little bit crazy, and so she shoots him in the chest and goes, you know, I, I got out of a bad relationship not all that long ago, and I swore that in my next one, when I started noticing the red flags, you know, homicidal impulses, wanting to kill children, I just wasn't going to stand for it this time around, and as a strong, independent woman, I don't need no dictator, and she shot him in the chest. She's then apprehended by the remaining vestiges of power who take over they string her up in uh, a government building and try to torture her for information this goes rather poorly uh the the actual squad arrives they wind up deep there's a there's a bit where oh this is why frank dukes didn't sue them they actually referenced the dim mock in a serious fashion that's what it was okay there we go there's a they detour and have character bonding moments while they try to apprehend the thinker peter capaldi who in this particular film is just playing a british man I, I'm, I'm convinced that was his direction he was told go be british at them uh really what we get here is the 12th doctor with about 18 sonic screwdrivers stuck into his head he doesn't actually do anything intelligent throughout this entire stupid movie uh he's there to dump exposition on them at a later date anyway they apprehend him a few of them get uh picked off they all re-rendezvous at Jotunheim. They pick up Harley Quinn along the way after she escapes because as a strong, independent woman, she does not need a rescue operation. Uh, they all head into Jotunheim where we meet Staryo the Conqueror, the giant intergalactic starfish that was that releases a bunch of smaller versions of itself that attach themselves to your face, kill you, 
or essentially render you brain dead, and then uh, become a singular part of the organism's consciousness. Uh, they decide this is not a good thing. So they split up to attack Jotunheim. They get inside the facility. They isolate it so that other people can't follow them in. A few of them go down into the bowels of the facility to gather information. The rest of them start planting explosives from the top floor down, which seems like a wild waste of munitions. You just hit the bottom floor and everything collapses if you do it properly. Depends on what temperature uh, jet fuel melts steel beams. Oh, God. No. Why? Why are you like this? Thanks, Trust. Rosie. For the record, all it has to do is compromise a little bit of the structural integrity of the steel beams and everything collapses. You don't actually have to liquefy them. Once they reach their plastic state, they snap, and jet fuel burns more than hot enough to render them forgeable. Yeah, yeah, you see, see like, like, like the Venn diagram of conspiracy theorists and people who understand metallurgy is basically two separate circles. I'm aware, but work with. That's why I had to. Get on with it. Yes, get over there. I gave you the courtesy of a countdown. You did. So they start. So they start planting explosives, but Peacemaker winds up in the basement with uh, everyone else, where it is revealed that the United States government has basically been bankrolling all of the horrible human rights uh, exploitations that have been going on here to experiment with Stario. Flag doesn't approve of this. He is a patriot, but he finds this to be maybe, you know, at least one step too far. And as he goes to extract some of the hard drives that have information to then reveal to the world the nefariousness of the United States, he's stopped by Peacemaker, who goes, yeah, you know, peace is worth holding, is worth maintaining at any cost, even the life of you or any number of small children, if I feel so inclined. Uh, the building collapses, they fight, he kills Flag, because John Cena does no jobs. And then because John Cena really does no jobs, when he tries to kill Ratcatcher number two, right about then, Idris Elba shows up, having surfed down the collapsing structure on a bit of rubble, and they have a face-off, wherein he is able to out-duel Peacemaker, shoot him in the neck. But he, we see Peacemaker alive and more or less well at the end of the film because he's getting a spinoff series. Yay. Um, the Stario the Conqueror is released and starts wreaking havoc on the island. The Suicide Squad is ordered by Amanda Waller to evacuate. They've done their job. But now all these heartless bastards have grown consciences, and now we must do the right thing and save all these red shirts. I mean, cannon fodder. I mean, people. <laughs> So they all attack. This goes poorly. King Shark gets tossed through a building. Uh, Polka Dot Man is squished. But Harley Quinn, utilizing the power of feminism and a phallic symbol, pierces this thing in the eye, thus symbolizing how all men should be penetrated by women, I suppose. Yes, I deserve that one. <laughs> uh this is, you read into this a lot more than I did. I Sometimes really, a giant brain-controlling starfish alien monster is just a giant starfish alien mind-controlling monster. Yes, I, yeah, 99.9% of the world just saw a girl do a cool hero thing. Robert Winfrey, this is an attack on the patriarchy. Well, but you have to remember that John Cena did in fact remind us that a starfish is a word for a butthole. I, I'm running out of sound clips. 
They actually no, they actually set up my interpretation I, I, of this more than yours. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, rat catcher number two summons not only every rat from the city, but given the sheer volume of them, I imagine every rat from the state of Florida showed this thing. <laughs> uh, they, the rats are able to attack it, and as the Zerg have taught us numerous times over the course of their existence, many small pro You throw enough goblins at a problem and it stops being a problem. They threw enough rats at this, it stops being a problem. They kill it. We get a sad, sad line from Staryo the Destroyer. I was happy floating in space looking at the stars. Why did you do this to me? Don't you understand? We should leave the beauty of pristine nature alone even as it floats through the endless vortex of outer space. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, oh, somewhat lost in all that. Amanda Waller tried to kill them all because they went off mission by going back to stop the thing. But Waller is stopped by her subordinates. That I have issues with that scene. But the squad is able to save the day. They are photographed saving the day. So now Bloodsport's daughter feels better about his existence and her relationship to him as uh, as a parental figure. They uh, bloodshot you, blood sport. Sorry, blood sport. Bloodshot is a horrible, horrible movie, an entirely different one. Blood sport is able to negotiate their full release because he now has this uh, hard drive full of incriminating data. And Waller agrees. Fine, you can go be free, but I'm still gonna have to call on you because sequels. But you're welcome to not be in prison anymore, so long as you hold on to that drive. Uh, the squad all go their own separate ways to wreak whatever mayhem they're going to wreak. We get a mid-credit scene of the weasel, who wasn't actually dead, but just hibernating, apparently, with lungfuls of water, waking up and running off into the jungle to do whatever he's going to do. And our end credit scene of John Cena as the peacemaker, convalescing in a hotel in a hospital bed as a couple of amanda waller's subordinates look over at him and go you know she only saddle us saddle us with him because we stopped her from killing everyone this is our punishment and they only want peacemaker kept alive because he's going to save the freaking world in his spin-off series watched by i'm sure dozens of people probably including us all right james yes Give me your thoughts. Uh, you get to go first. You are first up to the plate here. Good, bad, otherwise. What did you like? What didn't you like? The floor is yours. Right. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I definitely like this more than the first one. I definitely will say that. Um, <laughs> Low bar to clear, clear but Robert. I agree with you. <laughs> um, I, I think I do agree with Robert that it probably is a bit overpraised by certain people. Like it's like the, the second coming when it it definitely is not that. <laughs> um, it's I think overall it, it was a solid movie. Um, I, I do like how James Gunn. He, it's it's not it's not as good as his two Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Definitely not. But like I I do like how it it did make me care more for like I I don't know I found myself liking like Bloodsport a hell of a lot more than um, than, than, than Deadshot. Harley Quinn, I, I was more interested in her in this movie than, than the first one, definitely. Um, uh, I, I, it's just the absurdity of it all. It was just, I, I found myself, I wasn't like laughing out loud like like some people probably were. I think, I think like every time something that I found humorous happened, I, I found myself reacting kind of like how John Stanis Peacemaker did. It was, did to uh, Polka Dot Man when he first showed up. He was just like, 
what I was doing. I was just like, that was dumb, but you know, every time. Um, definitely a better villain with Starro, I think, than the, the first one. The with the um, the enchantress. enchantress. Oh god. Oh god. <laughs> Whatever that was. Please stop. Yeah. Please like, stop like, dancing, like, Mark. I can see you. Anyone on the po- anyone on purely the audio version of the podcast was just spared that. Stop it. Yeah, the metrics will show this is when everyone turned off the YouTube feed. <laughs> You're not kidding. <laughs> but, um, we, we were doing so good with those views. I think only James Gunn could make Starro work, though. Like, I don't know. Somehow he made that work. As ridiculous as it was, I, I don't know. Like, it worked. For, for what this film was going for, it worked. And it was, it, it was very fun, very entertaining. All right, David. <laughs> Try not to cut you off there if you're done. Oh, I'm done. I'm done for now anyway. Okay. Yeah. All right, David. Good yeah, bad, I otherwise. I, yeah, I'd agree. It doesn't hit the heights that Guardians of the Galaxy hit. Certainly not as much character work as those films did. Not to say it's bad. I think this one was just more James Gunn having fun. It was my sort of sense that you know we're not we're not going terribly deep here, but we're just you know gonna gonna enjoy the ride. Um, like I think you know the casting was really really well done. I think everyone did a good job in their roles. Like I can see why John Cena might get a spinoff with uh, with Peacemaker, though I, I think that character works a bit better when he's not the center of the film. You know, some someone gonna, that other characters can can bounce off of. It. Yeah, he need he's gonna need a pretty strong sidekick. He needs he needs uh, he needs dynamism like that. He's not all that interesting on his own. I mean, like probably one of the best performances of uh, Sylvester Stallone's career. Oh, I think he just, he just nailed King Shark. Uh, I mean, he did, but <laughs> your, your, your sarcasm. <laughs> hey, we're talking about min-maxing here. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, like, I almost imagine him, him calling up uh, Vin Diesel afterwards and saying, you know, like, see, I had actual sentences. <laughs> I had more, I had more than three words to say. And Vin Diesel said family, and he said you're right. Yeah, yeah, it solves. solves I don't know. Everything. Vin Diesel said family, and Sylvester Stallone's response was, "Yeah, that's how winning's done." <laughs> then, <laughs> and they high fived. Yeah, yeah. You know, at this point, Margot Robbie, she can do Harley Quinn in her sleep. She's she's got that character down. She she owns it. You know, just like. Uh, just like Hugh Jackman owns Wolverine, pretty much on the on the screen. But I must admit, I do kind of like King Shark a bit more in the in the Har- Harley Quinn animated series, where he's just like the IT guy. <laughs> yep. That's yeah, Hannibal Buress, right, on that show? I, I don't know who who the actor that plays him is, but uh, I think he, he does a good job. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that actually the Harley Quinn series kind of occupies the same space that Suicide Squad is trying to. Or the Suicide Squad is trying to occupy that sort of R-rated '60s Batman flashback, you know, like like you know, when you bring it like Polka Dot Man, you know, you're 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 kind of you're kind of going into into the uh, the obscure. Yeah, but you know, James Gunn at least was able to make Polka Dot Man a touch sympathetic. He he, Ron, he was he actually worked on, pretty hang good. On. Ron Funches is who I meant, not not Hannibal Buress. Someone's gonna get mad that I mix the two of them up. I mean, you're not you're not pronouncing his last name right either. Both of them, for the record. But okay, but yeah, yeah, casting was good. Like 
you know, the acting was good. All, all, all the action scenes were, were well shot. You know, like it's technically there's not much to complain about here. The, the script made sense as much as a film like this could make sense. Uh, yeah, I would say it, it wasn't really a laugh out loud movie. Like the, the jokes, I think the best parts were kind of just shown in the trailers. A lot of them, yeah. Yeah, so so he's kind of okay. Yeah, you like you. Know, Holy smokes, it's a freaking kaiju! It's like yeah, we, we we know. Like it was it was in the trailer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, my, about my only uh, real complaint I would give is I, I thought it was a bit too long. Like I think they could have shaved yeah. thirty minutes off the film and still covered the same ground, just as well. That, that's one of my complaints. I mean. I feel like part of the stuff with Harley Quinn was a studio note. And let me be clear when I say this. I know J this is James Gunn's movie. It's his vision of it. So I don't believe he was, you know, dictated to. But I feel like someone read the script and went, you know, we need more Harley Quinn. And he went, okay, I think it can accommodate you. And On then, the bright side, we'd have less Jared Leto's Joker. Like, no Jared Leto's oh. Joker. Yes, that's a very good oh. thing. <laughs> All right, so let me. Oh. Yeah. He really did ruin a great four and a half hour viewing experience I had with uh, Zack Snyder's Suicide Squad. You want to talk about like just a wonderful cruise that all of a sudden hits an iceberg. Oi. Yeah, Jared Leto. <laughs> well, Robert, right. I am waiting with bated breath here to find out why you. And you, you and a handful of critics did not care for this movie. Okay, let me let me start out with the following. My criticisms of this are partially objective, and I will separate the objective from the subjective to the best of my ability. Okay, I want everyone to know that the reason I'm I'm on top of this the way that I am is I walk out of Suicide Squad tweet. I had a wonderful time, and isn't it a magical thing when a director gets to create his vision? And Robert, who heard that I was tweeting from Utah, wasn't on his computer at the time, just heard the tones of keys being pressed as I entered them into the Twitter feed and in the known internet universe, came running from the yard he was in while he was howling at the moon, tripped I was, over himself. No, no, no. I was mowing the backyard, first of all. <laughs> and threw himself at the computer to say, you and I had vastly different experiences with this film, you charlatan. I and didn't I went, call you. I, a, hang I, on, I didn't call you a charlatan. <laughs> and I it said, "Foreman, find you know, sensing a, a party was in progress." <laughs> and I said, "Sir, I have no air conditioning. I have to go talk to my wife. Wait to Tuesday." All right, now go ahead. Okay, for the record, you also put in a GIF of. <laughs> uh isn't that omar from the wire just in tears clapping at how beautiful something is yes like and my response to your somewhat over the top reaction to this movie was well you and i just you and i didn't have the same experience okay and i and you said yes we will yes you and i will you and i disagree film at 11 in other news water is wet so in the in the you know in as respectfully as I can, I'm going to disagree with you, and I'm going to do so in the following ways. Let me start out. So let me start out. On a pass-fail system, this film is a pass. It is an easy pass. This is not a bad movie at all. I have no issue with it being reviewed favorably. Be very clear about that. 
Okay. Again, if if all we if we divide this into good movie, bad movie, this is a good movie. It's not great. It's too long. I I feel like a you could shave a like the stuff with Harley Quinn and the dictator does not need to be here at all. You could cut that. Have her break out of the torture chamber. That's fine. Although I don't understand for the life of me why flowers were sprouting behind her. She's crazy. No, for, the I same get the... reason, for the same reason when Matt Riddle uh, throws off his, his uh, sandals, birds come out. Yeah, but there's no reason for that either. And now you're using WWE logic. And you don't watch <laughs> Monday Night Raw, sir. You don't oh, if know. you go into your filthy fucking casual snooty no, no, no. routine I, on me again. This is not about being a. This is not about you being a filthy casual about professional wrestling these days. I envy you that. <laughs> this is simply you don't know the blasted hellscape that is Monday Night Raw. Okay. It is the worst. I get it. So you can keep her escape because her gag afterwards is they're all set to rescue her and she comes around the corner and hey who are you rescuing? Like that's actually pr that's perfectly acceptable. Uh, that's a perfectly acceptable gag. I just don't need Harley Quinn as Belle in B or her as Evita. You know, I, I don't need that. This movie doesn't need that. It doesn't actually help anything. Uh, the casting, like you all mentioned, is universally very, very good. Uh, I... I, there's a couple of things that really kind of stopped this from hitting the heights that I hoped it would. As a, I wanted this movie to succeed. There's not really the emotional resonance that you get with Gunn's other films. That said, James Gunn does as good as humanly possible making you care about these people, and he deserves tremendous credit for that. He is very good about reminding you that these are people living in a world not just cardboard cutouts you know the none of these people have plot armor as far as that goes i mean john cena does because we all knew he was getting a spinoff but everybody else is fair game so we have to care about them for their deaths to mean something and kudos to him he makes us care about them and i mean that sincerely unfortunately some of this winds up leaving a few characters because of the scope of this movie in terms of cast a few characters wind up underwritten and consequently a few emotional moments fall flat Amanda, Wall Amanda Waller going psycho. <laughs> no, they must die for no reason. For the greater good. The greater, the greater good. good. No. Thank you. Like, that doesn't even make sense. How is that? For <laughs> if they want to die fighting the starfish, you let them. There's no reason for her to do that other than for her subordinates to have a heroic moment. It doesn't actually need to be there. Her character's not set up to... If you had written her character where her character cannot stomach any sort of check, any sort of you know, resistance to her authority, then them going, no, screw you. If we're going to die, we're going to die here. And that pissing her off makes sense. As it stands, she goes from even keeled. You're going to do this. I very cold blooded moving pieces on a chessboard to I must table flip and her and everyone else going, no, don't flip the table. Don't flip the table. It's a pretty table. I would like to point out that it's kind of nice that they update upgraded the uh, kill switches to actual like guarded kill switches as opposed to just touch screen buttons on a phone. Whereas if 100%. you just drop it, you drop it, you can like you know pop five people's heads. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like that, that was really that was a nice upgrade. Uh, 
But that that turn with her character really came out of left field, and I think that's a problem. Yeah, that didn't make sense. Why did she try to stop them from killing the star? I'm like, just I, I don't that part I don't understand at all. I don't. I don't so that the, <laughs> there's no reason. There's not okay. a reason. The in movie well, well, re hang on the in movie reason that she there was two reasons why she didn't want them. One, um. At the time, beyond the, the scope movie, of the mission, at the, yeah, it was beyond the scope of the mission. They were there to they were they were there to destroy Jotunheim and then destroy the drive, and so so that people wouldn't know that America was funding this. Um, beyond that, there was no reason to continue to risk the assets. You know, there is a, there is a point to where she does not want to keep killing prisoners. She needs them to do more stuff, and there's only so many prisoners she's got that can do these things. Number one, number two, her other thing was. It's kind of like Iran in the United States from the 80s into the 90s or the late 70s into the into the 80s, rather, you know, where they start um, when there are out. Actually, even Iraq is an even better example of this. But my point being, we have allies in the Middle East until we don't need them anymore or they're doing something we don't like. And then suddenly we're, we're turning on them. That's you know the, the old joke about Donald Rumsfeld and the uh, the weapons in Iraq. Um, like, how do we know that Iraq has the weapons? We kept the, they kept the receipts because we gave them to them to do other things, things like that. So her point is, in a very roundabout way, we don't help the people of this uh, of this country. We're no longer allies with them, and we don't care what happens. In fact, it it's better for us if they're crippled for a while and can't provide harm to us in any kind of way. That's her logic, as flawed as it is. Well, yeah, I was I was more objecting on on the lines of like, so wait a minute, you think it's okay to leave a giant alien starfish that dispenses mind control smaller starfishes to wander the world at yeah. its own leisure? I mean, it, you, you you can't even say, well, it would still be confined to the island. It's a starfish. <laughs> like that, that really. Well, that's hang on. Like, Don't no, perceive no, no. to know how intergalactic starfishes behave in atmosphere. What if it can't swim? It's an intergalactic starfish. Mark. It has an army of mind-controlled people. You don't know its biology, sir. Okay, worst they could build something. Worst case scenario, it builds a <laughs> battle cruiser to cart itself around. Like, <laughs> and I, I think that's more my objection to like her stupidity there. If this is a new government that's hostile, or you know, some other like low-level superhero supervillain, you know, if. I don't know, pick some mediocre DC villain that gets let loose onto the populace. Condiment King. Sure. <laughs> if they release if they release Killer Croc and he's wreaking havoc and they go, Well, we really should get this guy back. He's gonna kill people and the response is No, he's a small scale threat and it's not worth the time and energy. That makes sense. The literal threat to the fabric of human reality Like that's don't, doesn't the squad exist to help stop world-ending threats that you don't want to? Here's my like only it, argument it, it, that. it was just like, get out of there, because we're sending in the nuke to nuke the starfish. Yeah, like, it's the, the only way that, to be sure. That would have made... That I would have lived... That I could have lived with. Like, if her response is, get out now, we're sending the nukes. What <laughs> if... And I'm just going to posit this. In-universe, right, in-character, she assumes or knows through knowledge of this program that Starro can leave the planet once it's not imprisoned in Jotunheim. Now that it's out, she assumes once it wreaks bloody revenge on the people of Sierra Madre or whatever the fuck they are, um, the Maltese Falcon. Cordo I don't know the name Mal of the island anymore. Cordo Maltese, you. <laughs> Cordo, chicken cordon bleu, got it. 
Um, it'll just go back to it, it'll go back to its home planet all on its own. It'll just just jump into the atmosphere and fly she away. She could have said that, and she okay. didn't. Like, okay. Look, we can we can theorize and spout headcanon all we want. That doesn't actually solve the problem with the movie. Fair enough. Uh, I was okay with the humor. I liked the violence. I am a fan of violence. So sue me. Uh, <laughs> it's too long. I mentioned that. There's a um. Oh yeah, thinker. Thinker's character is non-existent. Well, yeah. Okay. Here, here's the thing, and this is a problem with. Funnily enough, this is a problem with contemporary Doctor Who, and I'm talking about someone who used to play the Doctor. If everyone else in the scene exists only to ask leading questions so your other character can continue dumping exposition, that's a poorly written scene. And that's all that final bit. That The final bit with the thinker when he reveals Stario, that's only somewhat saved by the turn that Peacemaker is here to ensure that peace is maintained, even at the expense of other members of the squad. Other than that, it's a very poorly constructed sequence where, again, Pre Peter Capaldi just dumps exposition. Someone goes, but why? And he dumps more <laughs> exposition. And they go, but how? And he dumps more exposition. And they go, but where? And he dumps more exposition. Like, do, do you see the problem there? That's a and poorly the, And then his face scene. shield falls down. And sorry, that's a different movie. It's still a problem. Like, it, it's still a problem of writing. And we come to, I think, the big one of the bigger problems I have with the characterization that goes on here, and that is, in fact, Rat Catcher number two. <sighs> one, if this character is powerful enough to summon all the rats on the island, boy, should so many other of the things they did have not been a problem <laughs> at all. Second... I kind of object to trying to shoehorn a sympathetic character into the group of bastards that we're supposed to grow to be sympathetic towards. When her thing is, boy, I'm just a, I'm just a poor girl from a poor family. Spare <laughs> me my life from this monstrosity. <laughs> like when she just wants to sing about revolution in the streets of uh, Portugal, almost. I mean. Take Les Mis and set it in Portugal, and she's there. I was, I was like, don't make a Les Mis joke. Don't make a Les Mis joke. <laughs> I did it for you. Thank you. Like, like she, she wants to man the barricades, right? Like, like she and her father were just poor people on the streets of Portugal, but her father's this, you know, technological genius. She comes to the United States and is then locked up for armed robbery, with the ex the excuse being that she used the rats as an ar as a weapon. I object to this because none of these people should be that sympathetic. They should have human cores. They should have traits that make you feel that way. But this poor girl is basically the black guy from American History X who got sent up for 10 years because he dropped a TV on the foot of the cop that was arresting him and got sent up for assaulting an officer. Like, that's what we're dealing with here. And I just, that doesn't work for me in this context. I get that she's, you can still have her be the slightly more innocent party who is there to, who kind of helps remind Bloodshot of his daughter and his essential humanity. 
without trying to make her boys and she just put upon in a victim of society and circumstance and the patriarchy and the man and everybody else this poor victimized little girl yeah make her poison ivy for rodents with the power to command swarms of rodents and ruin like do you see my problem with hang on do you see my problem i have to object to that i've been very quiet and respectful and i wanted you to have your say but how do you contend? And, and let me pose this to you as a question to solve, to answer and solve instead of a criticism of your criticism. Okay. In 2021, how do you make a movie, even a movie that's filled with villains, without having at least one crowd-pleasing, sympathetic character? One, one likable, crowd-pleasing, sympathetic character. These are, I understand that in the, in the context of the film, they're supervillains, but the reality is that they're your stars of the movie made for a mostly um, pop culture mainstream audience. You, there's only so many. And, and the way that James Gunn makes this movie, the way that he's going against the grain is by making it super violent. He's not, you can't go against every single grain of, of filmmaking and then expect this thing to make money. He's not doing an art house project here where you can really play with conventions. Some of the conventions he has to keep. I'm not saying you can't have a more sympathetic character. I'm saying she's almost the token sympathetic character. Like there's nothing to her other than I'm sympathetic and I sleep all the time. There <laughs> millennials. <laughs> Isn't there a millennial joke at her expense somewhere in there? I seem to recall. Sounds like uh, the first I, joke with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. John Cena gets it out. Um, I'm not saying she has to be the, a hardened serial killer like Harley Quinn. I'm just saying, oh, I robbed a bank to feed. I, I am poor Jean Valjean, who robbed a bank to feed my family, and now here I am in prison. Okay, if she if she can't be what they were already going to do with Harley. And you and you can't make the other characters in the group that central core emotional conventional babyface character. What is she supposed to be then? And then if not her, who else in that group? Idris Elba? Because you can't do it with John Cena. You you really can't do it with Polka Dot Man. You can't Boy, do it with King Shark. They should have done it with John Cena just so that his heel turn hurts all the more. Okay. Um, I mean, that's one way of doing it. But again, somebody has to be pure through the whole movie, damn it. But they're all pure evil. That's pure. Okay, uh, move on. Again, it it just doesn't fit for me in okay. terms of that. And I, I, I think there's a way to do it better. I'm not sure exactly what it would... You want that character to be the one that reminds Elba of his daughter? Cool. And I'm fine with that. But there's no edge to her, right? Like, there's no... how. <laughs> there's five or six people in your main cast. Why does everyone have to have a sharp edge? Because they're all in a super maximum security facility. Dude, I, mean, I, w I work I with, with people of every grade of criminal from the worst to the accidental. They're not all the same. Then her character shouldn't have been in that position to begin with. Okay. Like it, it, it just doesn't. It, there's a lack of sense with this movie internally about how this character is treated in this respect. Okay. Either she's the type of person who is completely disposable and of no value to society outside of doing stuff like this, 
or she's not the kind of person that should be on this or she's not the kind of person that should be on this job. Or maybe they could just throw in a line how she got brought in on a small set of charges, but then Waller caught wind that she has rat powers and sent her off to the supermax. Well, I thought so that, that she was could implied. exploit her for use in the Suicide Squad. I thought that was implied that Bell that Bell Reeve on top of being a regular prison was also a place for supervillains, and because she uses an extra an, an extra type power, I mean. My understanding is that okay, she, she robbed a she robbed a bank, she stole a loaf of bread to eat, whatever. Um, but she did so in a manner outside the norms of human criminality, therefore she goes to Belle Reeve. But without a without again, without her magic rat wand, she doesn't even have those powers. Yeah. So again, I didn't have to ask, why is she here at all? They needed somebody to control the rats to eventually eat the starfish. Okay, but that's I mean, fundamentally, <laughs> this is a no, film about a man a... learning how not to hate rats. <laughs> like, like that is the arc of this this feature. <laughs> and, and might I say, Idris Elba's performance at the end of the film, when he's like actually petting the rat, probably the best acting I've seen him ever do. Like, he, he looked creeped out and disgusted by that <laughs> rat, and the process of him like just working up to pet it was just like you could feel the really, <laughs> really could all, all throughout his body, and, and and that was brilliant, especially because like there probably wasn't even a rat on his leg. Oh no, you, that's, you... that's whole CGI. Like they put it, they put a green rat on his leg, and then just uh, you're entitled to feel how you feel. But I, I there are things that I'm hearing you say, and I'm like, okay, I mean, I I can go along with that, I, with even whether or not I disagree with it. On on this character. You're, I feel like you're holding on to a point that, for me, doesn't carry a tremendous amount of weight. She's there because she's she's there out of context of the film because you need to have that kind of character in the film because people have to go and like this and spend money on it. In the film, she's there because they because at some point in this thing they felt they were going to need rats. I I I I almost feel like you're overthinking it. And you're not allowing yourself to just sort of in passively enjoy it. And I'm not entirely sure why. I don't passively enjoy anything. Matt might be the problem. <laughs> you know I don't passively enjoy anything. <laughs> there's very little that I just there's very little that just kind of washes over me in the background. I have to think about it. I have to I, I understand. And and I understand that we that the phrase most often bandied about on this thing, other than why did you make me do this, is Shut uh, up and have fun. <laughs> shut up and have fun. Yeah, that. But it doesn't survive under its own scrutiny. Um, I think in this I'm, case, you might be overthinking it. Like, I'm surprised we haven't talked about the real travesty of this film, which is the, the massive lack of Nathan Fillion throughout its entire runtime. I honestly thought you were going to say the lack of Captain America's shield. No, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not stepping on that one. You don't want to get in. You don't want to get into the chain of custody that led the that led Captain America's shield to be wielded by Superman for a period of time. Hey, can I talk about Harley Quinn, or are you done? Why do you want to talk about Harley Quinn? Shut up! I just want to talk no. about Harley Quinn. No, I'm not done. I have a, I, I have one more good thing I want to say. Um, you know, kudos to not only Sylvester Stallone, but the entire presentation of King Shark. Because, yes, very good, that's your hand. Very good. Because he could have very easily been Groot 2.0, and he's mm. not. Mm -hmm. He's not cute. He's very deliberately not cute. That's why they gave him small eyes and a really big mouth. But it would have been really funny if he couldn't swim. <laughs> 
Yes. Nobody asked if King Shark could swim. So he's a shark <laughs> in board shorts <laughs> with a dad bod. Of course he can swim. Uh, that would have been funny, actually. Uh, but he's they find an emotional core with him that works again mostly due to both the writing the act uh, the crew that did the visual effects and sylvester stallone's vocal performance of this big dumb almost unstoppable creature that doesn't fit anywhere and just kind of wants friends there's this there's a bit early on when he's talking about when he's trying to he almost eats uh, rat catcher two he, eats, he almost eats rat catcher number two and is stopped. And she goes, he wouldn't do that. We're friends. And then she asks the rat, like, did he try to eat me? And the rat goes, yeah. <laughs> nom, nom. Well, okay. Sh- don't you have any friends? No. It, 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 you, you expect him to say, you expect a kind of throw line about that. But this, he just earnestly and sincerely goes, no. No one cares about me and I don't care about anyone. And it kind of sucks. So you get him kind of, and it's a really kind of beautiful sequence, and where he finds all those other aquatic things in that big in that aquarium, and they try to eat him later because of course they do, uh, but where he he's just looking at them, and they kind of form, they kind of take his shape in the water, and he kind of just plays with them for a minute or for you know twenty seconds, and it's just a really small, really kind of little beautiful little sequence about this you know, unwanted, unloved lug recognizing something else that might kind of want to be around him. And I want to give credit to that. Okay. Uh, the act, the other good, the, the other sequence I really liked, Idris Elba and John Cena have wonderful comedic chemistry. Don't they? They have like the best chemistry of anyone in this film. Bar none, like that scene where they're where they have the essentially the dick measuring contest when they're mm-hmm. killing people through the <laughs> through the through that yeah that camp. was very much um, Gimli and uh, Legolas in uh, Return of the King and uh, the Two Towers a, a little bit but the, like, what sealed what sealed it for me was at the end when no no you you wound him you you didn't kill him with one shot you lose no no compression bullets they explode it explodes and blows him. <laughs> And blows him up. Yeah. Well, now you now you lose because you're just a show off, and no one likes a show off. And <laughs> Cena's response. Yeah, that's that's true. Unless what you're showing off is fucking awesome. And Elba turns <laughs> Elba turns around and goes, "Damn it, he's right." <laughs> like those two had such wonderful chemistry together. I'm more so than anyone else in this movie. Um, Middle. Um... Young adult to middle 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 aged adult white men, their new favorite character in life is Peacemaker. Oh my god! Like, sure, everyone from the age of twenty two to thirty five is going to be wearing Peacemaker gear. They're just going to be wearing <laughs> that toilet seat on their head. <laughs> yeah, he is now the symbol. <laughs> it's going to be good. <laughs> gone is the gone is the white ca- is the white college uh, football hat. Uh, in is the toilet seat cover that he wears. Um, I think that's it again. This is a this is a pretty easy pass on a pass fail for me, so I don't okay. object to it having a high overall rating on aggregate scores. Okay. I want to I wanted to say two things, and then we're going right. to move on. The reason I said it, it was very nice to see a filmmaker get to make his film 
isn't to say that it's perfect in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I loved it. I really had a great time watching this. I was very happy walking out of the theater until I found out I had no air conditioning. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'll ruin your day. And I had yeah, to perfectly sleep acceptable. And I had to go sleep with my in-laws. But um, I'm a fan. Uh, you know, I'm a fan when musicians get to make music uninterfered with. I'm a fan when artists get to paint their pictures. I'm a fan when movie makers get to make their movies. I don't always have to love them. I don't have to love everything about them. But I, I, I like it when people get to make art. And this was a film that didn't feel like the studio got, I, after having learned their lesson with Justice League and, um, and uh, what do you call it? Um, Suicide Squad. What? <laughs> That's the one I forgot. Um, and having learned their lessons with previous DCEU films, I think they were like, let's bring, you know, maybe we'll have a big giant hit in our hands like they did with Guardians of the Galaxy if we just let him make the movie he wants to make, no matter how ridiculous it is. And this felt, you know, with, with what we know about James Gunn in his very visual style and his penchant for the weird, um, I, he got to make, I think, the movie that ultimately he wanted to make. And it was nice to see that come to fruition. Uh, did I love every single thing about it? Not particularly, but I could appreciate somebody realizing their vision. That's all I was trying to say about that. I want to talk uh, about Har. Okay, if I might, very briefly, I agree with you about that. It is nice when it is nice when art gets made. Mm-hmm. I I don't, ob- and this very clearly is James Gunn's vision, unadulterated, un you know, unscrewed around with. So I, I agree with you that it's nice to see that, and it's nice that. Warner Brothers might finally be learning to keep their fingers out of the pie when it's being <laughs> cooked. So, all right. So about Harley. Um, oh, God. Why? So, Robert, you've been doing this with me for a while. This isn't necessarily an invitation for a debate here, but I have to address you personally. Okay. You've been doing this with me for many, many years now. You know that... I'm not a, say how many specifically. <laughs> by nature, by nurture, by career choice, I am an empathetic person. There are things that touch me emotionally that maybe don't necessarily resonate with everybody. Harley's story, and this is why I'm prefacing it this way, resonated with me personally, emotionally. The idea that this character who, in continuity, such as there can be continuity in these DCEU films, has been described as you know an abuse an abused person, someone who was thrown away, someone who is often used as a human shield, um, victimized, objectified. You know, we talked about how in Birds of Prey, this was supposed to be like the Harley Quinn coming out party, and it failed on so many levels, including that one. And the nice thing about the Harley Quinn sequence, while it does feel like an add-on, um, that much I do agree with it. It kind of falls out of tempo with the rest of the movie. I was glad it was there, and I was glad Harley got to have her own little mini-movie in the middle of this, because for me, it reconciled some growth with this character from the first time we meet her in 2016 through um, Birds of Prey till now. I like the fact that there's a character on screen sort of recognizing I've done bad things, bad things have happened to me, I'm really trying to change, and I'm the next time I see an opportunity to... you know, a, a fork in the road, one taking me right back to where I started and another one to take me forward, I'm going to make sure I choose the forward path. To me, that's a meaningful thing to talk about in film. It's a interesting thing to put it in a, in a dopey movie about people, you know, fighting a giant starfish. And I'm glad they gave it to this psychologically damaged character. You know, it's a bit of, it's a bit of on-screen hope 
in a cynical piece of filmmaking across the board. I mean, the DCEU films don't exactly scream hope and joy. There's a lot of cynicism in these things. And the fact that, narratively speaking... To their usual detriment, depending right. on which... Because certain properties should not be all that cynical. Batman, be cynical. Superman, you really shouldn't be. And the fact that James Gunn, of his own volition, and through I, I, what I, I can't even imagine his reasoning, decided, I want to take a moment in this movie to recognize that this person who is so damaged can change, can make the right choices, but do so in a fun way that is in character with who, we, with who she is, without also losing the audience in this emotionally... Um, and this emotionally deep scene. So it's like, there's a lot of balls being juggled in that entire sequence, but I think he definitely kept all those balls in the air. I mean, we get the emotional resonance, we get her um, explanation of why she's doing what she's doing, and then she kills a whole bunch of people just in case you were getting bored with all of that. I loved it. I, 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 I thought it was fantastic. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie because it felt the most human. You, secondary to that, not to beat up on the, not not to do this to the rat catcher thing. But <laughs> I have to play my clips. But I, the reason why I was arguing with you so much about that is, I do think you have people who are victim of circumstances and make make bad decisions, but to do so only out of survival and 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 having end up paying the consequences for it. That is a big part of our prison population. People who, feeling bereft of choice, make what they think is the least worst choice, but ends up paying a, a hard price for it. Um, having her there to have those emotionally bonding moments with King Shark, with uh, Bloodsport, to have her, you know, to have her be in a damsel in distress moment with Peacemaker, I think. She fit a whole bunch of different roles rather effectively. Um, and I was glad she was, you know, I think if you're, if you're going to comment on her lack of characterization, she, she's sort of there to almost be projected on by the audience. So in that sense, she's lacking in a bit of strong characters. But, but then again, you can't have all alphas in this movie with hugely strong characters. You have John Cena for that. You have Idris Elba for that. You have a big monster in King Shark, who you can't really project on, no one who, other than the way you described, how do you relate to that character? And then you have another really damaged character who I thought they handled really well with uh, with Polka Dot, um, Polka Dot Man. So my point being, I think you needed a character who was lacking in depth, but was easily projected upon by the audience. And I think that's her role in the film. I don't think you can cut it or change it without messing with the dynamic of this picture. Um, lastly, and only because people have brought this to my attention, um, the last thing I want to say about this, and then we'll move on to the money. People have been comparing this to, obviously, to the 2016 Suicide Squad. And, you know, I, I said this in our chat, and, and I'll bring it up here. There are people who I think are steeped in film, um, either as big fans or people who make film, people who work in the industry, people who study this stuff. And I think all of us favor this one because of its artistic quality for pe but for the vast majority of of the muggles out there they seem to be liking the 2016 version because it was dark and serious and violent and it was something for whatever the weird and i don't quite know how to put my finger on this 
I think the best. The, I think the best way it was ever said was when when the first Suicide movie came out, there wasn't a full tattoo parlor in any city. <laughs> That's funny. I, I just to say it simply, I think. For people who, who don't study film and are just wanting to be passively entertained, there was more relatability in 2016. I don't know how you make that leap psychologically, but apparently uh, people do because they explained it to me. Go ahead. Allow me. If you can do it in 50 words or less. You ever see Donnie Darko? I have. You ever remember all the jackass teenagers who saw Donnie Darko for the first time and suddenly this was the best thing ever and now I've been ex now I've been exposed to film that actually makes me think? I said this to Sean. I went through a period of Run Lola Run, Requiem for a Dream, and Donnie Darko. I almost wanted to stop watching movies after that. Suicide Squad, the, the first Suicide Squad is a little bit Donnie Darko for a certain John okay. for a certain type of fan of superhero film. Right. I got that. You don't because you didn't see a whole lot of the dark, expendable, everyone so many people will die. And it's their first one. And now we look back on it with rose-colored glasses. It's a pile of shit. Mostly <laughs> on fire. <laughs> but for a lot of people that just go, oh. Wait, a superhero movie can be dark and violent. Never mind that I should have just watched the Punisher series on Netflix. This is the greatest thing ever. Right. How can I not? Again, that's all it is. It's morons who lack experience, who lack critical thinking skills, who are going purely based on nostalgia and their own ignorance. And that's what's fueling that more than anything else. So you know, once the actual story gets started, like the mission gets started, and if you ignore all the Jared Leto Joker stuff, it's actually an okay movie. Somewhere within that film <laughs> lies the potential for a decent enough 80-minute film project. Let me let me say this so we can move on. You know, um, the the big complaint that I heard the Norm is making was the uh, you know the big fight against the starfish, and I was like. Why are they objecting to that? I was like, wait, what? <laughs> but, I, but I think that's it. You know, I think you, just to kind of put it simply, I think you have your people who like criminal juggalo Joker. And then I think you have your people who like Starro. And there's a Venn diagram where there's people kind of in the middle that like both things. But it's a very small core group of like really big, like, film yeah, people and then what? and then it's everybody you else you bunch of morons i bet if it had been a sky beam you'd have been happy with it <laughs> okay pitch meeting guy he's James. not wrong about that <laughs> and the, the collective stu the stupid collective conditioning that has gone into crap like that is a real mm -hmm. thing all right james um you've been patiently quiet with us if there's anything else that you know you've had you've had to hear dave myself and robert go back and forth you've uh i the fun thing about this being on video is that i can see you make faces so <laughs> i'm wondering um i'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm, give you the <laughs> i just want to know if you had any um if, if you heard anything you wanted to respond to uh if you had any final thoughts if we peaked uh a thought in your mind that you wanted to add and then we'll we'll close out yeah um I, I, as much as I enjoyed it, I definitely don't see this film clicking with the uh, the normies, as you as you call them. Um, I, I don't. It probably, I think, even for them, it's probably is way too out there, way too over the top violence. Unfortunately, I thought it was yeah. Fun. There's a hyper violence and an esotericism about this movie that doesn't click with norms. Yeah, how much money did Deadpool make again? The Deadpool kind of knows knows what level of 
of in Deadpool, what's her face? The hot actress and Ryan Reynolds, who's also a hot actress, were banging for a good ten minutes of that movie. That's a whole other story. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. However, those two films, I guess, found a way to click with just enough people. But I just don't see this one doing it. Maybe I'm wrong. I could mm-hmm. be wrong, but I yeah. listen. If John Cena was banging Margot Robbie, you know, it, through, through all you know, through <laughs> through all the seasons and all the holidays, I'm sure it would have been fine. Also, and okay, that actually, let me say this, then you get the final word, then we're done. I mentioned this in our chat. If you were going to make the comparisons to Deadpool here, let us remember that you, there are not, the, the comic book audience is not one giant board. There are segments. Deadpool resonates with 10-year-old boys who dragged their mom to that movie, and their moms didn't know what they were being dragged to because <laughs> no one pays attention to that shit. They just went, my 10-year-old son who won't shut up about nothing <laughs> wants to go see this dumb superhero movie. It's got that hot guy Ryan Reynolds in it that I like, you know, from the Sandra Bullock movie. It's fine. Let's go. Oh! He, he's banging. He's banging. What's your face? Um, what's the actress's name? Macarin. Something rather. Uh, Mon- Monica Baccarin, I think. Monica Baccarin. <laughs> oh, he's yeah. banging Monica Baccarin. I probably mispronounced um, that, but close enough. Good enough. Mommy, Any case- what's, mommy what's pegging? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, nobody in this movie resonates with 10-year-old boys. They either don't know who they are or it's Harley Quinn who resonates with 20-year-old girls at, at cons. It's a whole other freaking audience. And this is not the kind of movie that tends to resonate with women in general. This is very much a dude movie with dudes in it doing dude dick comparisons and killing people with dude hatchets and shooting people with dude bullets. Why are you wearing tidy whities No, that's just racist. <laughs> so my point is, <laughs> I, if you're a studio executive, line. if you're a studio executive who doesn't pay attention to comic books, sure, I can understand them thinking Deadpool was rated R, Suicide Squad rated R, Deadpool made a lot of money, ergo, Suicide Squad makes a lot of money, without realizing that Suicide Squads, so, so Suicide Squad fans, there are less of them than there are oh, Deadpool huge. fans. Deadpool fans are a fucking, like, legion. Okay, if Deadpool... Yeah, they're a bunch if, of idiots who don't understand anything. Well, but, it's yeah, most of exist. the Earth, unfortunately. That character fucking took off like hotcakes. No, no one knows who the fucking the Suicide Squad are. Chinese. Okay, and 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 people also make comparisons to like just specifically Harley and Deadpool. There are less Harley fans than people think because again, that character resonates with two crowds: twenty-year-old girls and dudes who like porn. But go ahead, James. and clowns, <laughs> and clowns, and clown porn. It's a very small Venn diagram. Boy, and now that, that I've made and, my and boy, is that a rabbit hole you don't want to go down? <laughs> and now that I've made my my one-time porn reference for the evening, James, take us home, baby doll. Okay, well, that's I think I don't I don't have any other thoughts left on the film. Okay. Uh... <laughs> All right, yeah, you, you, you got to assert dominance in these discussions, or, or yeah, you're just not going to say anything. Yeah, according to Dave, we'll when, according to Dave, to my daughter, you got to fight for your time here. So with that said, fighting for time, here comes the money. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. All righty. Uh, on a budget of uh, almost $200 million, 185 to be exact, this thing has made in theaters, though it was day and date on HBO Max included in your subscription, 
$71.4 million at the time of this recording. The weekend that was uh, August 6th through August 8th, it obviously debuted in the number one spot. It knocked Jungle Cruise out of the first spot to number two. It dropped old from two to three. Black Widow maintained... What I, I have to do this before we go any further about this. Do you? Yes. Uh, look, this is the sixth consecutive decade in which Sylvester Stallone has been in a leading role in a movie that opened number one in the box office. So can we all just tip our hats to the man, the myth, the legend, Sylvester Stallone, very briefly? Yes, we God can, I Pat. Thank you very much. It deserves to be recognized. That's a hell of an accomplishment. Okay, Pat. Um... <laughs> Three people will get that joke. The rest of you don't worry about it. Um, Black Widow. Well, most of our audience is in the chat anyway. <laughs> You're not wrong. Black Widow, for the third time, maintained its spot at number four. Stillwater maintained its spot at number five. Wait, Stillwater maintained at number five? Really? The Green Knight, which we just reviewed myself and Ronnie Adams on uh, Monday night, Sunday night. I uh, listened to that review. I felt bad for you guys. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what did you think you were getting yourselves into when you said you'd really, you were going to see that? I just say yes to everything. Ask that question to Ronnie, who seemingly wanted to walk into the woods to live deliberately when it was over. Um, anyway, uh, The Green Knight fell from three to six. Space Jam, A New Legacy, six to seven. Snake Eyes, seven to eight. Uh, Escape. Boom. We need, we, need a, we need a bomb. We need you need a bomb thing for your soundboard for Snake Eyes and other movies of its ilk that just cratered. I will work on that. I also need a wire drop, according to Andrew. Um, I don't know which wire drop, but I need one. Uh, Escape Room Two uh, maintained at nine. Fast Nine fell from eight to ten. The Boss Baby Two ten to eleven. Forever Purge eleven to twelve. Quiet Place twelve to thirteen. Nine Days apparently opened up and shit more theaters. Just a whole bunch. So that yeah. jumped from 27 to 14. The Anthony Bourdain documentary, Roadrunner, Mimi, fell from 13 to 15. The Conjuring jumped up again. Weirdly. I don't know why. But suddenly everyone out, everyone ran out to go see The Conjuring. And that jumped up from 20 to 16. Cruella uh, fell from 14 to 17. Pig, 15 to 18. The Hitman's Wife, Bodyguard, uh, 17 to 19, and then... Thankfully, that thing seems to have cratered, too, because we didn't need more of that crap. Um, debuting at number 20, Escape from Mogadishu. Debuting at number 25, Swan Song. Debuting at 30, John and the Hole, which sounds like porn. I got two in tonight. Um, that's three. That also and... <laughs> which also sounds like porn. <laughs> um, bring Your Own Brigade. Uh, that debuted at number 33, even in Dreams 34, and Naked Singularity at uh, 36. Um, some films of note currently at number uh, falling from 42 to 44 was Werewolves Within. Uh, Ryan the Last Dragon dropped from 23 to 31. And uh, In the Heights, 18 to 23. Peter Rabbit, 19 to 21, etc. etc. All right. Um, so as I said, and we had talked about this with Jungle, I, I said this that we were going to keep, this is what happens when you try to have a big movie when you're, when all of your brands are damaged. Well, here, here's what I was going to say, you know, and we talked about this, um, a little ways back, you know, that for a while they they, you know, they were going to be trading number one spots, um, 
nothing was nothing was going to have the, the three week dominance that you hope for with these summer movies. But the other thing that we talked about, Robert, was normally by this time we're getting into the end of the summer blockbuster season. As a matter of fact, generally by this time you and I would be doing like a summer wrap up, or we just wouldn't be doing these anymore. You know, we'd be taking a break. But because of the pandemic, because everything, because May got pushed to June, and June got pushed to July, and July got pushed to August, and then August got pushed into September, we're having this. And you don't even want to know what's going on in 2022. <laughs> and so my point being, normally by this point, people are done with summer blockbusters. Like if you go, if you don't get in May and June, definitely by July, by August, people are not coming to see your movie anymore, and that's been the trend. And you know. So you have the studio sort of working against the the tide of by now by now you should be put, you shouldn't be putting out the movies you're hoping to make five six seven hundred million dollars by now you're putting out the smaller movies you're, you're winding down also people are going back to school especially in the south this is just not a great season for this August tends not to be a great month for, for a movie going yet because of the pandemic a lot of stuff got pushed into this month that isn't doing as it was projected to do. It isn't doing very well. Um, to that point, and Robert, this is where I'll let you jump in here. Uh, it's getting high praise, but apparently it did not do nearly as well financially as it was expected to. Uh, I think there's a few reasons for this. One, you know, there's a pandemic going on that is currently going through a bit of a surge depending on where you are in the world that's going to make people more hesitant to see movies that I mean, it just is i'm not here to talk about that in any great detail two the day and date thing isn't doing it any favors i didn't pay to go see this it's on hbo max i watched it there and had a you know as good a time as i was gonna have three's a little bit harder to parse because people want to blame a lot of other things but the reality is you're trying to make a big budget movie and make no mistake you throw in almost 200 million dollars at this thing that's a big budget on a property that is already damaged from a film studio whose entire cinematic extended universe whatever is damaged with characters that no one cares about Featuring a bunch of actors that people might be passingly familiar with, but you don't have a big box. I mean, to be abundantly clear, the first Suicide Squad didn't have a big box office attraction either. Do not listen to the publicists trying to sell you on Will Smith being this great big box office star. He's not that. It hasn't been that in almost a decade at this point. He's a talented actor, but he's he's not... He's not a, he is not independent of other things, a draw. You're just betting on the wrong horse for all the wrong reasons here. And it, it doesn't help that, you know, this doesn't seem to have resonated with people for one reason or another. I mean, look, Guardians was a pretty big gamble. It benefited from a cast of people who were able to be really likable. Hang on. It's also important to note that much like any institution film when you have significant misses it's yeah. harder to bring people back by the same token when you have a steady amount of successes you build up cachet after a while people will just start to go see whatever late whatever you threw your label onto so had it been you know the eternals at that point at the height of marvel's popularity had it been some other lesser known the thunderbolts 
had it been the New Mutants, had it been Ham Sandwich and the Schmageggy, you know, McGee's, and no matter, at that point, people were going to see whatever the new Marvel movie was. It didn't really matter what it was. And then it turned out to be pretty great. Yeah. Not the other way around. And I think that's also the problem with DC oh, yeah. is that they've had a steady string of misses. I mean, the last one that we did was Wonder Woman. And was that a mess? Yeah. And no, Wonder Woman 84. Yeah. yeah. Wonder Woman 84. And we didn't love it. And then the one before that was, the, you know, Alexis Haina was a fine young lady before she met the likes of us. And we ruined that woman. We did. And, and the and the film that finally sent her screaming into the night <laughs> was Birds of Prey. And oh, how we lambasted that movie. That's two in a row, okay? That is two in a row, um, not counting Zack Snyder's Justice League. So well, we have point, to count Zack Snyder's Justice League. <laughs> but my point, well, my point being, like, DC had the what was the last big hit DC had was Shazam, and then before that was Aquaman, which I know you didn't love, but you know, and the critics were not exactly. I saw a chart today on Rotten Tomatoes. I can't believe the critics didn't love Aquaman. Now that I'm remembering it, but my point being that like. Marvel has a steady string. Whether or not we liked it or not, as a whole of the story, Civil War. Um, it had a, a steady, it had a steady string of successes in the you know in the mainstream. DCEU has had a steady string of misses yeah. in the in the in the collective consciousness of the world, and you, so you can't expect them all to come running back just because James Gunn threw a colorfully you know painted picture together. So um, I want to take a brief break here, James. You know, you've heard us yep. do the money section before. Um, I'm, yep. You know, you have some insight into the film industry. You want to weigh in here on the money uh, regarding the Suicide Squad, why it doesn't seem to be hitting with people. Um, you know, what are your thoughts? Uh, I've always thought of it like, like the normies, they'll, <laughs> they'll ride that, that hype train for something only for so long. Right. We've seen... I. We've seen this for like other different franchises and series and stuff. Sooner or later, they're gonna want it. Most of them, anyway, are gonna want to get off that hype train and maybe get on and off every now and then for different things, become more selective. But that—that's to me, in my opinion, that that was inevitable. Like this mm-hmm. was inevitable. You know, they're gonna become more selective. Like tastes change, trends change. The quote by Staclasa from Red Letter Media: "You know, tastes and trends do change." I think that could be a factor, among other things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think just more and more over time, audiences are just going to be like, eh, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Ooh, Spider-Man. I want to see Spider-Man. Ooh, Black Panther. I, I, that's what I think. All right. I also think you're hitting on something pretty brilliant here. In the past decade, we've seen what was a very niche market in the you know in the in terms of comic books on um, film and television. I mean, you and I were talking right before the show started. We were talking about Jupiter's Legacy, and there was like a yes. slew of and the boys and this and Umbrella Academy and that, and we're getting Doom more Patrol. and more every day in Doom Patrol. So, like, even if you discount the Marvel and DC stuff, there's so many. I mean, Resident Alien had a show. There's so many um, um, independent comics being turned into television, uh, TV shows, and movies that at this point the novelty bloom ha- is right. off the rose for sure i think so yeah. 
and I'm a nerd for this stuff. I, I, mm -hmm. I really do feel it's just uh, oversaturation, too much damn stuff to watch. Right. <laughs> so, you know, when you when you throw to and, and here's the point, and then we'll, we'll go to the worldwide box office and then we'll move on. When you throw $200 million at a movie, the expectation is five, six, seven, eight hundred million dollars. I mean, you're, you know, long shot, you're hoping for a billion. That is the oh, point. Yeah. And, much money two, yeah, oh, yeah. and, you know, so at $200 million for your budget, not, not, not the least of which is, you know, marketing and whatnot, you know, commercials well, and marketing, and marketing isn't usually in included in the, well, that's what I'm saying. Like it, it would be on top of that, but that's not the part that we ever see. So God only knows how much they spent in marketing on this. Yeah. I want to talk about that briefly. Finish your point. Sure. I, I promise I'll be quick. Um, my point being that you have to create an event. This needed to be an event. It needed to stop time. People needed to quit what they were doing and go to the event. And here's the problem. An event is something like Avengers Endgame, which was built up and built up and built up. And you, like it was a happening. It was a cultural event. Norms showed up to this thing in droves because it was an event. The intention for the filmmakers in the studio for the Suicide Squad was that it be an event, but it's kind of like throwing a party and not telling anyone that you're having the party. And, and, like, and then you wondered why no one showed up to your party. You're like, wait a minute, I, I threw one. I, I I I said people could come, but did you tell anyone specifically? Did you? Yeah, did but you, the Avengers Endgame party was a bigger party. Well, not only that, but it's like no one knows you're having the party. No one knows what's at this party. There's other parties, and that's the other thing. Like there's other parties happening all along the block. So it's like, why is your your party's not special anymore? And I think that's the biggest detriment to the Suicide Squad. Robert, marketing in fifty words or less. Go. I genuinely kind of wonder how much the constant pushback of the release date affected that because you buy ad time on tv yeah. in chunks for a specific time mm -hmm. so if they bought ad space six months for six months ago on all the on television spots and whatnot and then suddenly your movie's being released in august right that's a problem i mean how much of the marketing for this i don't mean this dismissively how much of this was internet how much of this was let's pump money into YouTube. So before everything you watch there, here's an ad for Suicide Squad. Here's yeah, how much of that was digital instead of the traditional on television uh, advertising budget, because they just weren't entirely certain about when, even if this date was going to hold, if there's a little bit like, well, let's hedge our bets a little bit and not spend to be on, you know, the NBA finals which would have been a good spot for a big budget movie like this, hypothetically. And instead, you know, because we might bump you or, you know, if they were going to spend on the NBA finals and that's how much money they spend. And then, Oh, we're not releasing for another two and a half months. Yeesh. You that know, ain't going to do you any favors. You know, two things. And then um, two things. And then, we'll, then we, we should probably move on. One, I'm wondering if they shouldn't have once the theater started opening and they saw how Godzilla versus Kong did, I'm wondering when everyone abandoned May, if maybe Warner Brothers, especially if they were going to do day and date on on HBO Max anyway, why they didn't why they didn't move this up to May? Let's rem let's remind everyone what came out in May that they would have been competing with. Okay, uh, uh, what do you call it? April thirtieth was without remorse, which was on That's Amazon. Sucked. That sucked. <laughs> um, April May seventh. Okay, Wrath of Man. 
Okay. Um, it would have won the weekend if it went up against that. Almost certainly. The next one, Spiral. Pretty okay. easily, pretty easily would have won the weekend over that. Um, the twenty-first was Army of the Dead, which was on Netflix. So there, yeah, I mean, like there was nothing the twenty-first that I have on my calendar, which means that everything else was either limited release or not worth talking about. And then the twenty-eighth was Cruella and um, A Quiet Place. So if they had released it on the twenty-first of May, when you didn't have the issues we're having now with pandemic. Theaters were open in large, like LA and New York were open by that point. We were in full swing. They were starting. May was when the May was when everything was starting to reopen a little bit. So I, I honestly think I, you, I think they were hedge. I think they were trying to hedge against everything being more open now than they than it was then. Mm-hmm. I, and, I definitely would not have done it in June. In in um, let's see, June, just to sort of finish this up. Um, June was not June fourth was nothing that I can say. Uh, June eleventh was still nothing because I'm looking at my calendar and I have Furious Seven. June eighteenth was the fate of the. Okay, still nothing. Wow, did not did we not do fucking damn you Hollywood in June? I think <laughs> we did. Hang on. Um. We didn't do it Tuesday the eighth. We God. didn't do it the fifteenth. Oh Jesus Christ! They really could have done it any week in June. It would have been just fine. This, I think, I honestly think they missed their window of opportunity to make any decent money with this. This might have done better earlier in the summer. All right, um, finishing up the bit here. Worldwide box office from where we stand uh, from last week. Hymon, Detective Chinatown, Fast Nine, Godzilla versus Kong, Black Widow. Uh, is up to number five now with 360 million. Okay, okay. No, re- I'm looking at the list of films released, mm-hmm. and okay, yeah, uh, the first half of June was pretty dead. Yeah, now now that now yeah. that we're discussing it again, there was it was ample opportunity to, re- to release this in June. Yeah, I mean, even the back half of June, you had Luca on the 18th, and then you had F9 on the 25th. Right. But so, everything before that was really open. I don't right. know. Maybe they were just trying to. Well, okay. Maybe they didn't want to have it come out opposite at their own property of In the Heights because they were trying to make way for that cultural phenomenon. <laughs> Which also, Warner Brothers is having a hell of a year. Um, just... All right. A Quiet Place 2, Cruella, The Conjuring, Chinese Doctors, and Impasse. All right. So with that, that is where we stand worldwide. Um the calendar uh, next week, the uh, sorry, this Friday, the big uh, feature is Free Guy. That'll win its weekend and it'll knock this out of the top spot. Well, um, yeah, it might even knock it down really to, to three or four. Uh, look, I, I think you're correct. I'm just hoping not because I want, I, I hate Ryan Reynolds. You're a lunatic. I um, am not a lunatic. You, you you are um, even if I was part of my diagnosis would not be how I feel about Ryan Reynolds and his film projects debatable <laughs> and with that our critical you know what before we do that I forgot to do because we were so involved in the um, we were so involved in the, the discussion I forgot to do the plug for both Amazon and Grammarly damn it 
<laughs> so, hey, Robert. Hey, back Yo, to, uh, yeah. hey James. What do you like to listen yes. to? What kind of music you like to listen to? Uh, mostly rock. A wide variety of stuff, but mostly rock music. What do you listen to say, these days? Oh, these days? Oh, geez. Uh, I do love Breaking Benjamin. I guess they're an old band, I suppose. They've been around for a while. Breaking Benjamin is in, in my... Is up there, definitely. Well, you know, you can listen to all the Breaking Benjamin you want if you click the link in our description. This boy, could this be any less ham-fisted? Uh, <laughs> if you click the link in our description for AmazonMusic.com. That's GetAmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network. Uh, we're giving away a free 30 days to stream unlimitedly on AmazonMusic.com. You can listen to all the Breaking Benjamin you want. Did you know that? I do now. All right, <laughs> so go ahead and click the link, uh, getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Uh, fill out the information, agree to the service for a month, you'll get it for free. And then when that month is over, if you wanna keep it because you love it and why wouldn't you, you can do that or you can cancel it. No fuss, no muss, no contracts, no pains in the butt. All right, and now with that, here we go with the critical review. Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 All right, the <laughs> nearly beloved by the critics here at 91% on the tomato meter. The audience score uh, slightly less plus about it at 84%. The critical consensus reads, enlivened by writer-director James Gunn's singularly skewed vision, the Suicide Squad makes for a funny, fast-paced rebound that plays to the source material's violent anarchic strengths. The audience says, meh. The, audience, the story isn't amazing, but the over-the-top action and sometimes literally side-splitting gags make the Suicide Squad a major improvement. All righty. Well, not everyone loved it, though, so let's see what the critics thought here. Um, Yasser Medina of Cinema Aficionados, it's just as dull as the predecessor. You, sir, are an aficionado of nothing. <laughs> so we often talk about how so I, we don't know if people are choosing their own little uh, uh, parts of their review to post up here or if it's done by a log an algorithm or there's an editor on Rotten Tomatoes that's choosing it. But somebody thought this was a good idea. Andrea Thompson of A Real One's Own. Well, damn. How did these people get on this website? <laughs> I ask myself that every day. Um, Susan Granger, Robert Winfrey's aunt. Uh, Quit with trying to establish <laughs> me a surrogate family of these morons. Of SusanGranger.com. <laughs> Of SusanGranger.com. No, you already, I already, you can't, no, no, no. You're trying to get two for one. You can't do it. <laughs> uh, damn you it. Did, you did the family bit. I'm not doing the next one. All right. I'll, I'll find another one then. I'm sure you will. Robert Winfrey's aunt says, with little exposition and no character development, oh, there's, no, bent. <laughs> there's no emotional resonance, making it a more grotesque R-rated comic book turned video game than a movie. Look, I know like I'm a big sissy social worker, but why am I the only one getting emotional resonance out of this? 
because you're a big sissy social worker. That's fair. But, ha- well, but even- hang on, look. Even me, right, who said that there wasn't quite the emotional resonance I was hoping for, that doesn't mean it's non-existent. And what do you mean little to no exposition? You must have just hidden away from the ca- from the screen when Peter Capaldi was expositioning all over the place. Like, that's all he did. Uh, Avi Offer of the New York City Movie Guru. Yet another mindless, overproduced B-movie that's neither funny, exciting, nor campy enough to be a guilty pleasure. Sir, as somebody who's watched many of the Roger Corman B-movies, this isn't even close. Get a hold of yourself. Moreover, you self-involved dick. Who made you the supreme arbiter of what can be, can or cannot be a guilty pleasure? I, I, you, I assume there's an email address. I'm just going to start spamming this gentleman with emails. I need to know if my cinema tastes conform to what is allowable for a guilty pleasure. Here's another one uh, that I'm not entirely sure how this ended up here. Michael Ward, should I see it? Mission accomplished. Well, I. that's a nice final note, I suppose. <laughs> How does that help people go see him? Like, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes to see, like, what did the critics think? Should I go see this or shouldn't I? And you read Mission Accomplished. What does that tell you? It tells me this man committed suicide. (laughs) (laughs) I guess he liked it. Uh, Let's see here. Matthew Passantino of Big Picture Sound. Through all the mayhem, the Suicide Squad feels like it's trying too hard to prove that it's better than the previous film. Which grows tiresome after a while. It's not- er, my son's TikToks are better than the Suicide Squad 2016. God damn. Yeah, that nothing has to try to be better than that. Nothing. <laughs> uh, Tim Cogshell of Film Week, KPCC, NPR, Los Angeles top critic. Ugh, NPR. We're Anyone not- who donates to NPR, you really should have stopped about four and a half years ago. Please stop now. That's a morally bankrupt, destitute institution that should not be funded. We're not supposed to notice all this pilfering from movies of our childhood, but I noticed them. This movie is a mess. And this would be another example of why that particular institution should no longer be funded. Please stop. Wade Major of Film Week, again of NPR. The Suicide Squad confirms more than ever that Warner Brothers is just completely astray with the DCE films. All that I agree with. Yeah, that again, that's a fair point. <laughs> Other guy, no. No. Again, stop funding NPR. They suck. Blige Ebre, <laughs> I believe I refuse to believe that's your real name. Of New York oh, Magazine wait. Vulture, top critic. Wait. This gentleman writes for New York Magazine and Vulture. Oh, the pretension. It drips off of his hipster mustache, you douchebag. The lack of narrative momentum or compelling character art. Oh, God. Start on you. The jokes get old, too. Wait, I got, I got a good one here. And I, I want to get uh, David and James's reaction to this. Larry Carroll of Looper. This is the best Marvel movie that DC has ever made. Mm. It's not true. You quit now. No. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, Don't quit. You proud of you? proud of yourself for that one? Eh? You, you, you cash that. You cash that paycheck and don't feel a hint of remorse about what you do, don't don't you? Just I am I am shit at my job, but I get paid for it, and I don't feel the slightest bit of cognitive dissonance. Robert 
you and I have been doing this for a very long time, uh, and you and no, I have had no, many, many discussions. No. One of the things we've discussed is Kurt Loder, formerly of MTV News, currently of Reason Magazine, uh, Reason Online, and something else. Kurt Loder, Robert Winfrey. Kurt Loder. I don't know who this is. You do, because we fucking talk about it all the time. Why don't you remember me? Remember you, me. Okay, Mark, Mark, you reference this guy once every eight film reviews. I don't. Every week we do no, this. No, no, we do this. We do this segment every week. Loader himself features one every eight or nine episodes. I feel like you don't love me. You, you don't remember me. And when I reference something, you're like, when did we do this? Look, I remember a lot of the stuff that we do. I remember most of the critics that you bring up on a regular basis. You saw Kurt Loder, again, about a year and a half ago on one of these things. <laughs> you went, hey, it's Kurt Loder. I know who that is. And I went, no, I don't know who that is. And you went, no, he was on MTV News. I never watched MTV or MTV News. And you went, oh, you dirty okay, caveman. I you. understand that was 20 years ago. But ever since then, I've brought him up every single show. And when I no. do it, and you, when I do it in the chat, you go, "Here's Kurt, Lo here's Kurt Loader. Who's Mark Rattledge? Where's my pants?" Okay, you're the one who does these shows without pants. <laughs> I am wearing pants. <laughs> Please don't prove it. <laughs> okay, you can't see my pants. <laughs> I swear I'm wearing them. We have cameras look, on us now. Look, the point being, <laughs> you bring him up on rare occasion because most of the time his reviews are anodyne nonsense. And every now and then, he does something really stupid. The amount of times he is referenced on this show in this segment is about one out of every eight or nine episodes. You can well, Kurt Loader, formerly of MTV News and Robert Winfrey's favorite reviewer now, of no, Reason Online. That is really not true. <laughs> Writer-director James Gunn, a veteran of the Troma Z movie factory, has imbued this picture with a proud neo-junkiness. And the good news is that it's intermittently entertaining. Is that true about Gunn? I, I, I genuinely don't know if he came out of the trauma factory or not. He did. Okay. That makes a degree of sense. Uh, I can object to the middle portion. No, I'm not. Okay. I, I disagree with his. I disagree with the rating he gave it overall, but the segment that we have there is a fairly sound argument. I honestly brought him up just to give you shit about forgetting that we talk about these things. Sonny Birch, <laughs> The Bulwark. I don't, listen, it's my podcast, and if I want to go into a sidebar about a personal thing between me and Rob, damn it, I'm going to. I can't stop you. I don't hate the Suicide Squad, but I do feel somewhat bludgeoned by it as if I'm being a stick in the mud or failing to fall in line and revel in the absurdity. All yeah. Right, hold of yourself, no, sir. No, no. That, that, speaks oh, yeah. on a that speaks to me on a spiritual level, actually. So this is a fresh review, but I want to read it because, one, I love reading this guy's reviews. Two, I know the first line of this is going to send Robert into apoplexy, yes, which is the point yes, of this whole is. bit. Johnny Gazemotic of Fanboys of the Universe. I'm fairly certain this gentleman is self-employed. <laughs> this is fun with capital letters. Yes, with all capital... Oh, God, I didn't even read that part. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, it is spelled with all capitals, and then this jackass immediately says, yes, with all capital letters. Oh, God, uh -oh. this douchebag. <laughs> this is fun. Yes, with all capital letters, comma, because I really need to get that point across. 
ellipsis. It's the film the original Suicide Squad was trying to be, and I'm here for it. Good for you, fanboy of the universe. You're here for something. I don't know if it's that. All right. We'll do a few more of these, and then we'll be done. Uh, Mark Dudgstick, Dudge, Dudgstick of Mark Reviews Movies. I'm Mark. You self-employed loser. The constant assault of gags combined with the routine plotting creates its own deflating sense of repetition. He might be. There might be some truth to that. Um, I'm gonna actually read this one. It's a fresh one, but I'm reading it because I hate him. Okay. Doug Walker of Channel Awesome. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Thought we were including critics in this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I need a burn clip. Um, good one, Dave. Glad to have your board. Uh, oh, that was great. <laughs> James Gunn at his meanest, speaking of which, bloodiest and funniest. This is what the first Suicide Squad should have been. You're so, you're so smart, Doug. <laughs> that was oddly I, coherent. I assume that's because I someone... That. I, I assume some editor saved him from himself, per usual. Luke Goodsell of ABC News Australia... In the end, there's no more submersiveness to these characters than the superheroes against whom they supposedly stand. They're just another brand of hero who would have swapped one code of morality for another. Um, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Back up for a second. I need to look at that again. Uh, oh, subversiveness. You wanted things to be subversed? <laughs> The entire existence of the Suicide Squad is itself a subversion of the superhero genre. What the hell, man? <laughs> How stupid are you? All right, last one, and then we're done. Uh, Manola Dargis of the New York Times, top critic. And former newspaper. <laughs> and current birdcage lining. The violence is the most consistently inventive part of the whole package, though it grows tiresome in, the thudding in its thudding repetition. No, that's if you if you think that the violence is the only interesting part of this, you're really not paying attention. I mean, look, is this going to win any awards for its inventiveness and creativity in terms of storyline? No, but it's if you're not able to go along with some of the characters and their journeys aren't great, but they're not flat and that's to be commended. And yet here you are going. The only thing the only memorable part of this is the violence. When in reality, the most memorable part is the comedic relationship between Idris Elba and John Cena. But no, no, no. I'm sure. I'm sure the only thing that stuck with you was King Shark ripping a man in half. Your dad liked it. Roger Moore of Movie. My Nation. dad didn't. My dad didn't see it. He objected to the title of the film. Your your critic dad, Roger Moore of Movie Nation. Just fun enough, perfectly serviceable, but I can't say I'd ever care to sit through it again. No, Sean Connery was better. Hang on. His two and a half out of four rating is about correct. <laughs> and you... and all, hang on. Also true, Sean Connery was better. Ed Whitfield of the Outre. Let's oh, say it together, Rob. God, no. The Outre. I will never say that. <laughs> the Outre. Ooh. James Gunn has spiced the broth, but it's still thin. And no substitute for a decent meal, don't you understand the oh, Oubre? Oh, please, you self-employed <laughs> pompous, 
You Someone self- wanted to be a food critic. You self-important pompous jackass. What? Are, who are? Who the hell are you to determine what goes into a balanced diet of cinema observation? You're not. You're not. This isn't the FDA giving out the food pyramid, which isn't. Which in and of itself is not accurate. No oh, God. You James. are the. You are the same jackass who decided to publish in science textbooks that different parts of the tongue taste things more intensely than others. That's not true. The only reason you can trick small children with that is is through this the same basic uh connectivity issue in the brain they expect it to be true therefore it is true your the front of your tongue does not taste sweet any better than the back of it generations were lied to about this by the educational institutions and here's this asshole going (laughs) i i am the one who knows I'm just imagining him sitting there at his keyboard going, yes, this will definitely help people decide whether or not they should go and see this movie. I know, right? (laughs) Well, James, this is your first time being on a show, not listening to it. How do you feel? What was this experience like for you? This was a great experience. I knew exactly what I would to expect. (laughs) (laughs) And you came anyway. I mean, I've, I've, I've been listening to you guys for years, so I knew that I knew what to expect. And like, yeah, again, I'm like, I'm so like honing in on like your back and forth and conversation and insights, you know. I'm just like, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, so just, just, just. Well, you see my, you see my face just, just re- reacting the entire time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. It's been, it's been an experience. It's been a fun experience. Well, um, I think you said you the next time you were going to show up was Candyman, correct? The new Candyman movie. Yeah. Cool. Well, we, it's fun to have you back. And listeners out there, just think, if you found this by accident, you're like, what are these people fucking talking about? Like, but I get to be on a podcast? See, if you listen long enough, you too will be welcomed into the fold and drafted into the podcast army. We have no standards. <laughs> None. Yeah, Mark does these with his kids. It's true. I, what brilliant insights do you have to say? That guy was wearing pants. Yes, he was, Jonas. <laughs> anyway. Um, conversation. Pants. If you didn't hear <laughs> that podcast. <laughs> if you didn't hear that podcast, there was actually an episode where Jonas did that. <laughs> yep. Uh, real oh. quick, uh, just so we can get this done, and then um, we'll let... Uh, James, do his plugs if he's got any, and then we'll get out of here. Um, I want to talk about one of our le- one of our sponsors, Grammarly. Grammarly, this whole segment that we just did was brought to you by Grammarly. Their AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. It'll even shove you in the pool when you start to write something as stupid as some of the reviews we just read. The download, uh, to download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All right, James, um, do you do any projects, anything where people, you want people to find you, or are you just going to run back into the woods? What's, your, what's the plan here? <laughs> so run away and hide. Um, mm. No, I'm, I'm on Facebook. If you, you want to like chat with me about whatever, you just find me on there. Uh, James Greco, not hard to find. Profile me smiling like a fool. In my car. Um, yep, that's. I don't have any special projects or, or anything that I'm working on. It, that's right. uh, outside of work. 
Cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you, James, for joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure. David, pleasure. I hear you finally have a podcast that you're doing, and now you're out of the podcast game. You're you're back to just sitting on the panel. You're done hosting your own thing. You're, you're giving up this full life. Uh, never say never, just as James Gunn said about uh, doing any Guardians after Guardians 3. But, uh, you know, I've... I've spent about half a year off and on editing a podcast. I'm, I'm I'm ready for a break, ready to pursue some other things. But you never know the the fancy just might strike me, and we'll uh, we'll come back and do another Star Trek retrospective or something else. So I'm I'm not going to say no, but I'm I'm not going to announce any dates until uh, until we and decide on that. And you'll be able to hear uh, David's Kelvin um, review that we Robert and I got into a sissy slap fight over the Beastie Boys over, which was I think longer than the whole review. Yeah, but it's totally worth it because the Beastie Boys are terrible, and that's a hill I will absolutely kill all of you as you try to take me off of it. You're a hill that people should die on. Um, anyway, that's, that's not how that works. <laughs> so uh, you'll get to hear that later in the month. Uh, we have a date selected for it, and you'll. Uh, it was an we, we despite the arguing over the Beastie Boys, it was a fun show. Uh, I just want to remind. Yeah, really, really happy with how that one turned out. Um. Just want to remind people that we did a companion piece for this. It's up right now in the archives. The book that the the run of books that the film was based on or inspired by, written by John Ostrander, the nineteen eighty seven Suicide Squad series. Um, we did the first eight issues of it last night, called Trial by Fire. It was myself and Evan Bevins. I am winding down my comic book hosting duties. Jet's going back to Jesse shortly. Um, as a matter of fact, this Thursday, him and Sean Comer will be reviewing the Technus Imperative in time for the new Titans uh, Season 3 that's debuting. So, uh, And then in September, he comes back full bore with Malignant Man and Shang-Chi and a bunch of other stuff. So um, this was the second to last or third to last appearance of me doing, hosting the comic book show. Check it out. Uh, Evan Bevins and I always have a good, uh, good fun conversation. We really enjoyed the book. So you should check out our review. The next one will be Vote Loki, and that'll be me and Alexis Haina. And then I'm finally done. The finale is myself and Chris Sheehan returning back after a long absence. We'll be doing X-Men Deadly Genesis uh, by Ed Brubaker. All right. Um, that and my uh, the aforementioned review of The Green Knight. My, that was myself and Ronnie Adams. Robert, 50 words or less, go. Well, we've got stuff coming up this month. We hope you'll all enjoy it. We'll have uh, a TV party for Loki coming up, as well as uh, there will be some anime reviewed at the end of August. It's either going to be Food Wars or Odd Taxi, kind of depending on whether or not Mark can get his children out of the room long enough for him to watch Food Wars. Okay. That's not something I should watch with my daughter. I told you this already. No. Got it. You <laughs> asked me before about this, and I had to Google Kurt etching. Loader. Kurt Loader. Kurt Loader. Mark? Feel free to Mark, Google. If you, watch, if you watch like one or two episodes, you'll know whether or not you want to show it to your kids. The first episode will tell you everything about why I'm saying don't show this to your 10-year-old. I, I forgot, but that's apparently what we do. We forget that we talk to each other. You specifically asked me for recommendations about anime for your daughter is different than you saying, oh, but there's this guy I used to like from television once every eight episodes. So we have the point and uh, the Candyman review at the end of the month. So you have all those stuff to look forward to here on Damn You Hollywood. Uh, let's see. You can find me uh, my review of a 38-minute episode of AEW's Dark Elevation is up in the for, in the Wrestling Zone of 411Mania.com. They had a really short episode this week. I was grateful. 
If MLW releases something on Wednesdays, I review that. Uh, WWE SmackDown on Fridays. There is no UFC event this Saturday, so I get that off. But you can find my full report for UFC 265 in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. And if, you're not, if you don't want to read through my live play-by-play coverage, which is what that is, you can listen to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast that I host on Sundays. This last week is basically just a review of that show as well. So you get all my thoughts after I get to sleep on it and whatever news broke about pertaining to the events between sign-off, which is around 10.30 to 11, depending on how long the show goes, and when I record it, some 18 hours later, give or take. So you can find all of that. I Mark, I just said I have a free Saturday, and you didn't immediately go, hey, hey here's a thing. I don't want to do boxing anymore. Oh, did boxing break you again? No, podcasting broke me. And in in effect, I fell on boxing. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, the shadow of Mark Radlich as he falls crushes the boxing <laughs> portion of the show. So you can find all of that. Um, all, a lot of the some old episodes of a show I used to host called Everyone Love a Bad Guy are being re-aired. So if you're interested, give those a listen. Uh, the last thing I want to mention, we are trying to hit 2,000 total downloads for the month of August here on the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network. So if you could keep interacting with the product in some respects, like, comment, subscribe, share, all of it helps. Please do so. Uh, mostly the sharing. That'll help a tremendous amount. We we stump, we get new people every now and then. We can tell because there are spikes in numbers. So if you could give those, if you could help us out in that respect, it would mean a lot to us. If you're watching on YouTube, again, the like, comment, subscribe thing. I hate saying it. Every YouTuber hates saying it, but it works. That's why it's said. So... Uh, that would that all helps us out a lot. So that's our goal for the month. Hopefully you can help us hit it. Thank you all very much in advance. We deeply appreciate all that you do for us. And on that note, Mark. Be well, be safe, and behave, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>